Go to Romans 13. Working our way through Romans. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10 this afternoon. The Bible reveals that God is relational. It means he's a person who has personal relationships. So he has relationships within the Trinity, with the angels, and with human beings. God loves to have relationships. And when he created us, he made us relational too. So we interact with all kinds of people. In the church, we have relationships, homes, at work, stores, business dealings, neighborhoods. We were built to have relationships, amen? amen. That's, that's how God made us. But because all men are sinners... It's easy to have problems in relationships. The Apostle Paul has been talking about relationships we have with different people. And one was with God when we went back to Romans chapter 12, our relationship with God and our relationship with the world, our relationship with fellow Christians. He went through this, all people, even our relationship with the government. He's been teaching us how we're to respond with all those relationships. So now in verses 8 through 10, he's speaking about relationships with all kinds of people with an emphasis on love as the key to success in every relationship. Love. We'll talk about that. So look with me at verse 8, Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. So Paul has just, just before verse 8, been talking about submitting to the government and paying taxes to the government. So right at the beginning of verse 8, he's still referring to paying taxes. That's why he says, owe no man anything. But he goes even further than this and basically says, do not owe anyone anything. If you owe money to somebody or if you've obligated yourself to pay off a loan that you took out, make the payments as you agreed to make the payments with the one who lent you money. Fulfill your obligations. Don't owe anybody anything. I don't know if you can do this, if anybody can do this, but if you can go through life and never borrow money and never incur a debt, that'd be tremendous. <laughs> Who's ever done that? Pay cash for everything, and you never have to pay interest. You can save a lot of money. If you could buy your house outright and not spend $300,000 in interest payments? Most people can't do that. And it's not a sin to borrow. It's not a sin to loan money to people. You can see that in the Old Testament, New Testament. It's pretty clear. You're just not allowed to cheat people with outrageous interest rates and things like that. Paul seems to change his thought here from money to love. 
when he says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. But really, he's still talking about debt. In this case, the debt of love. Christians are all in the body of Christ, and we have a debt of love to pay to fellow believers. But the debt really starts with a debt of love to God. That's where our debt starts. He chose us. He reconciled us through the death of his son. He gave us a new birth with a new nature that enables us to love God and others. So really, what a debt we owe to God. Amen? Because if God hadn't saved us, we couldn't love him. And we couldn't love others very well either. Not with his kind of love. God did everything for us to save us. And he gave us everything. He equipped us to live the Christian life. We don't lack anything to live the Christian life the way God wants us to. By his divine power, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. To the knowledge of him. He gave us the knowledge of him and he's equipped us so we can love God now as believers because he first loved us. So the love we're talking about is that familiar term, agape love. Supernatural love. It doesn't come naturally to people who are just born into this world as sinners, That's, which is everybody. It's supernatural love. It's the love of the will. Can you go to a person that you don't like, who has wronged you, who bothers you, and can you love him naturally? No, the flesh is against that, even giving that guy a break. You don't love that person. But agape love is the love of will. You say, I am determined and I purpose to love that person, to do good to that person, to not have revenge against that person, to not want him to suffer or trip up and have a hard life. That's agape love. That's why I say it's supernatural. Even to love an enemy. I was reading an article in, in a magazine from Voice of the Martyrs, and this, this lady's husband, who was a pastor, was on his way back from work. Uh, they captured him, took him away, and shot him, killed him. And it, it took her five years to get over it, to forgive that person who did it. And she knew who it was, and he was, he was in jail, and she just initially wanted to see him suffer and die because she was robbed of her husband. The kids were robbed of her father. And she was just having just real struggles reconciling all that. She finally came around and prayed for him to be saved and so forth. Well, she had agape love in her, assuming she was saved back then. But she was struggling with the natural response of the flesh. She finally came around. She was determined to love him because it finally dawned on her by God's grace that God had loved her when she was the enemy of God so she could love her enemies too. It's also the new commandment that Jesus gave in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you that you love also one another. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. 
John 13, 34, and 35. That's, that's supernatural love. You can't do it unless God puts it in you. And this love comes automatically with the new birth. As soon as you're born again, you love God and you have the ability to love others as well. But it doesn't stay static. Whatever God puts in you, it grows. It can grow and it must grow as you develop as a Christian, as you mature, as the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God moves in you. You love more and more and more, just like when you get married. You love the person you're married to, and if the marriage goes well, you love more and more and more. You build on that relationship. That's the way it is with God's love. It keeps growing for him. It keeps growing for all those around you. Remember what Jesus said to the sheep in Matthew 25, the sheep goat judgment. He said to the sheep, as much as you have done this to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. He was talking about how the sheep had gone into the jail to visit people, to feed the, the saints, to give them drink, to clothe them when they were sick, to minister to them. He said, as much as you've done any of that to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. You know what he's saying when he makes a statement like that? That there's such a, an intimate union between Christ and his people. They're like one. Whatever you do to a fellow Christian, it's the same as if you did it to Jesus if he was standing right there. Think about that when you're thinking about fellow Christians. How you think about them, how you speak about them, how you respond to some of the things they say to you. If you have a bad word for them, cold shoulder towards them, don't want to help them, don't want to fellowship with them, you're having a cold shoulder towards Jesus. You're having a bad word towards Jesus. You don't want to fellowship with Jesus. So when you think about loving the brethren, think about how each brother and sister is united to Christ. Whatever you do to them, you're doing to Jesus. And then he says in verse 8 at the, uh, at the last part, he that loves another... Uh, some of your translations, New American Standard has who, he that loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. If you love your neighbor, you fulfill the law. That includes the unsaved. So now we're talking not just about believers, but now the unsaved. We owe the unsaved Love also. Why? Because God loved us when we were unsaved, when we were his enemies. So we had that debt of love to everybody around us, saved and unsaved. Look at Romans 12. You might remember this, verse 14. When Paul inserted this, he was talking about loving the Christians and using your gifts among the Christians. But he says in verse 14, Bless them who persecute you. Bless and curse not. So there's, there's our enemies. And then in verse 20, he says, Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Jesus told his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, Love your enemies. 
Bless them that curse you. Do good to them who hate you. Pray for them who spitefully use you and persecute you. Matthew 5.44. So I think our, our marching orders are clear. We know what we're supposed to do, what Jesus wants us to do, what he did for us. Now, are we willing, with that agape love, are we willing to actually be determined and purposeful? I'm going to love this person even though he's hard to love and he's done me damage. Think of how much damage we've done to Jesus. He loved us anyway. That's, what he's saying. That's all he's saying here. You love everybody with that same love that God loved you. And if you do, he says in verse, go back to chapter 13, verse 8. He that loves a neighbor has fulfilled the law. If you love your neighbor, you have met the divine requirement. You fulfilled the law. Loving your neighbor doesn't earn salvation. It's the result of salvation. When God saves you, you can love. You can be nice to people and try to love them if you're not saved, but that does not get you saved. When you can love your neighbor as yourself, that's the result of God working in you. Unsaved people can't love with this agape love. You must be born again to have this kind of love. And once you're born again, the love of God be shed abroad in your heart through the Holy Spirit who's given to you. You're regenerated. And then that person can love God, love neighbor. He not only has the potential, he has the ability to do it. If he purposes in his heart to love as he was loved, he can love anybody. Okay, verse 9. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended or summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is going to show the power of agape love to make a Christian a lawkeeper. We actually can keep God's law. Not perfectly, but we can keep it. We can be lawkeepers. We can fulfill the righteousness which is in the law when we love with this agape love that God loved us with. So you, you see in verse 9, Paul is citing like five moral laws. Four of them are from the Ten Commandments. One is from Leviticus 19.18. So he says that the four commandments from the Decalogue or from the, the Ten Commandments and any other commandment, it's all summed up in that commandment from Leviticus 19.18, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the, the Jews taught to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. Okay? That was their misrepresentation of God's word. He never taught that. When Jesus came on the scene, he said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy? He goes, but I say, Jesus never changed the law. 
he changed the Jews' perversion of the law. And that was a perversion. God never said, hate your enemy. He just told them in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemy. So he repeats that here. All these laws can be summed up in that final part of verse 9. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you look at the moral law and you think of breaking any one of those commandments, when you think of breaking any of God's moral law, you can see that to break it would be a selfish act and an act of self-love. That's all it is. Every commandment that God gives us, if you don't keep it, it's because you're not loving as God loves. You're a selfish person. When you can love God and neighbor, you will not want to break these laws. So think about that. You have the potential in you to love God, love your neighbor, not perfectly, but in order to to keep these laws from becoming an offense by breaking them, you exercise the love that God has put in you, and you will not break these laws. You will not want to commit adultery or any other immoral acts, since that would not be loving to your wife if you're married. It would not be showing love to God if you committed adultery. Murder is not loving your neighbor. It's doing harm to your neighbor. Stealing from your neighbor is not loving your neighbor. An agape love wants to do good to everybody, wants your neighbor to prosper. You want to benefit him. So to break these laws is to go against the law of love, and you break it. Bearing false witness is not loving your neighbor. And coveting, it's, it's not an outward thing. Coveting is not an outward thing. It's, it's inside of us when we covet. It's internal, but it's selfish and it's self-loving. It can lead to jealousy and envy and unloving actions towards others. But when you love with agape love, you will not violate God's moral law and you will be a law keeper. In Matthew 22, you don't have to turn there, but the religious leaders asked Jesus, What's the great commandment, Jesus? They're always trying to trip up Jesus. They thought they had him this time because they figured Jesus will pick one of those Ten Commandments. And then we can argue with them, saying that's not the most important. That's not the greatest. But Jesus is wise. He's God. It's amazing how anybody thought they could beat Jesus at, at some kind of game with words. And Jesus said, after he rebuked them, he said, the great commandment, the greatest of all commandments, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two commandments hang all the other commandments. No matter what commandment, what law God has, they all depend, for their fulfillment, they all depend on loving God and neighbor. If you don't love God and neighbor, you can't keep any of those laws. You might keep them externally. You might keep them so people can see that you're, you're not committing adultery. You're not doing this. But if you don't love God and neighbor, you're breaking those laws in your heart. And you're not a law keeper. We want to keep God's law. Amen?
We want to please the Lord. The best way to please the Lord is to do his will. How is his will expressed? Commandments and laws directed towards us so we know what to do. Okay, look at verse 10. Paul says, love works no ill to its neighbor, or love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Agape love, the divine love of God, where God determines to do good to those who don't deserve it. It's another way of looking at agape love. You're going to love people who do not deserve it. Agape love always seeks the welfare and good of another. Therefore, agape love never does any harm to its neighbor, to anyone. And that includes thoughts and words and deeds. Agape love never does harm by thinking ill of people or saying words that would hurt that person or doing something actively to hurt that person. Jesus is always our example in these matters. He loved perfectly, even when people around him hated him. And they harassed him. They rejected him. They abused him. They punched him. They spit on him. They whipped him. And then they nailed him to the tree after an unjust trial. Everything that they could do wrong to Jesus, they did. Because they didn't know the God who gives agape love. What was the Lord's response when they did all that to him? He never reviled. He never did harm to them. He never even threatened them. But we got a challenge in front of us, don't we? But Jesus gives us a wonderful model to take all that abuse. This is God who came out of heaven down to earth, and he's standing among the people, and he's being abused like he's just some bum on the corner. This is God in the flesh, and they're abusing him. And he never talks back to them, never harms them in any way with word or deed. He could have destroyed them all with just the breath of his mouth, blown them all dead. And so when you're being harassed and abused and hated for any reason, remember what Jesus did. Never sought revenge, never tried to get back, never tried to hurt people because they were hurting him. We need to work on that. We need to mature into that. But that's our model. We can follow that model because we've been born again. We have that potential. We have the ability. And the redemptive work of Christ applied to us makes us new creations. So we have God has planted within us this new nature. We have this ability now. So when, when the desire to get back or not like somebody enters into your mind, just remember that. I don't have to do that. Jesus didn't do that. I don't have to do that because I'm like Jesus now. I have, I have his nature in me. I can love. I can love the unlovely. This goes for spouses as, as well. This is not just some horrible person coming in with an AK-47 trying to blow you away. This is spouses. I can love my spouse when my spouse isn't lovable. 
And I can get rid of that desire to be cold or, or just not even have anything to do with my spouse because I'm just so mad. Okay, stop being mad and start loving the way Jesus loved and put that love in you. We have a new nature, new desires. One of them is, is to be faithful to the Lord and love as he loved. And the Holy Spirit enables us. He lives in us. He enables us to actually love the unlovely and love our enemies. We won't be perfect, and I emphasize that because I don't want you to give up just because you fail at loving at times. Just keep going. Keep going. God loved us. Put that love within us. We will be successful if what? We walk in the Spirit. That's the key. You're not going to be able to do it just in your own power. But as the Spirit guides you into being more and more like Christ, you'll be able to love more and more like Christ. Turn with me to Romans 8 for just a moment. You might remember this from our study some time ago, but Romans 8, starting in verse 2 through verse 4. And I just want you to see what the fulfilling the law means, how we get to the place where we can fulfill the, the righteousness which is in the law. Verse 2, Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He's just saying that now that we're saved, the controlling power of the Holy Spirit, that's what the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is, the controlling power of the Holy Spirit has made me free from the dominion of sin that my flesh used to have over me. Okay, everybody get that? The salvation I have now, I have the, the Holy Spirit now controls me, and I don't have to give in to my sinful nature. That's what the law of sin and death is. It's your sinful nature. It's your flesh. It's still there, but it does not have dominion over you at this point in your life if you walk in the Spirit. You can literally say no to sin. The biggest sin that you struggle with, you can say no. I'm not going to do that because the Holy Spirit controls me. The Holy Spirit's job is to, to make me more like Jesus. He's taking me to the Word of God. He's teaching me about Jesus. I'm becoming more like Jesus and less like the person I used to be, I don't have to do that. That's the freedom we have. God has freed us from the bondage to our sin nature and having to submit to our sinful desires and lusts and evil cravings. We don't have to do that. It's a process. Don't be discouraged. It's part of the sanctifying work of God in us every day, getting better and better and better. But this is how we are able to do this, verses 3 and Verse 3 tells us how this was accomplished, how we got to the point where we could have victory over sin. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, he's talking about the moral law of God, written on tablets of stone, that, that law that's external, that's, that's in the Bible that you read about, that law couldn't, couldn't help you. The only thing the law could do was tell you how many things you violated in God's moral program. But the law doesn't save you. The law doesn't give you energy. doesn't give you ability. It just shows you where your deficits are, and then it tells you the penalty for that. So what the law could not do, and you saw this in the history of the Israelites, 
They tried real hard with all the, sacri- all the ceremonial law, civil law, moral law. They couldn't keep any of it. Why? In that it was weak through the flesh. Now, the law wasn't weak, but the law was trying to work through weak people with sinful natures. That's us. The law couldn't do that because it was working through sinful creatures who were of the flesh because that didn't work. Here's what God did. And he planned this all along. God did this sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning he was like us in every way except he had no sin. That's why he said in the likeness of. Jesus had no sin, but he was flesh and blood. And God sent him as an offering for sin. He offered himself up right at the end of verse 3. This is key. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus executed judgment on sin in the flesh. He let no sin get in him. He had victory over sin while he was a human being. And he says, I'm doing this so that you as a human being can say, I don't have to sin. He won that victory for us while he was a man. He says, I defeated it. I condemned sin in the flesh. I executed judgment on it. I finished it off. So that while we still have the sin nature, it does not have dominion over us anymore. Jesus ensured that. He conquered it in his flesh and blood human body on the cross. He rose from the dead and he said, okay, all my people now, when I save them, they will be equipped to live victoriously. Not perfectly. We're still going to sin. We're going to repent. We're repenters. We get back up. We do better the next time. Victory over sin. Okay, I said all that so we could get to verse 4. Why did Jesus do all that? Just to give us victory over sin? Yes. And it's explained in verse 4 that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. You say, I want to be a law keeper. I want to keep God's laws. This is how you do it. Jesus did it for us on the cross. He defeated not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin, so that we could live a life of keeping his righteous requirements. All that that external law required, all that the Ten Commandments required, You and I, as believers, born-again believers now, can fulfill the righteousness of those laws. Because it's not external anymore. Where are those laws written now? On our hearts. This is a new covenant. God writes that law on our heart. Puts a desire in our hearts to do his will. And what is his will? That we love as he loved. He's pure. We want to be pure. Jesus defeated sin on the cross, canceled the power of our sinful natures to have dominion over us. And when God regenerates us, the day he saves us, we become partakers of that divine nature. That's what Peter said. 2 Peter 1.4. 
to become partakers of the divine nature. The love of God, the nature of God is in us. The Spirit indwells us. He guides us to be more and more like Jesus. That's our victory, to learn of Christ, keep learning of Christ. Do you realize that as many years as you've been reading the Bible and hearing sermons, focusing on Jesus Christ, that we still have just scratched the surface of learning about Christ? I've heard people say, well, I read through the Bible twice in my lifetime. That's all? You better keep reading because you need to become more like Jesus. We're going to continue learning, and the more we learn about Christ and how great he is, what he did for us, his suffering, his pain, his victory over, over sin on the cross, as we grow in Christ, we become more like him, and when you become more like Jesus, you will love more like Jesus loved. You'll be able to say to the enemies, I love you. Read some of the accounts of Richard Wormbrandt working with all the people who were torturing him. He said, how, how can you do this? I love you. Why are you doing this to me? He had the love of God in him, the agape love that could love even those who hate you and are wickedly treating you. So let's check ourselves today. Do we realize what a huge debt we have to God? That's the first thing. Do we realize the debt we have to God? He loved us. He chose us. He made us vessels of mercy. And to redeem us, he didn't even spare his own son. He gave up the best heaven had for the likes of us. He crushed him, put him to grief, so we could be rescued from hell and glorify him as his children. He, he, left us, he saved us and left us here on earth. He could have taken us right to heaven, but he left us here on earth so that we could be monuments of his grace, so we could be trophies of his, his great love, so we could show the world the power and the love and the grace of Christ working in a sinner's life. That's why if you only love the people that love you, you're only nice to the people who are nice to you, you haven't shown them Jesus Christ. You hate the other people because they hate you. Christ loved those who hated him. And that's what we're going to do too. So we're checking ourselves. We have a debt to God. He did so much for us. So we didn't have to go and face the wrath of God. That so great salvation that God gave us should motivate us to love God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. Present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. Motivate us to love God and love our neighbors. Just think about that. Just dwell on that day and night. God, you love me so much that you saved a wretch like me. Surely I can love others who are not as bad as I was in your sight, I surely can love them. So check your love meter. Everybody's got a love meter on. If the dial on your love meter points to self, you won't be able to love others. You understand self is the problem? 
in the Christian life more than anything else? We're always worried about what people did to us or what they're going to say about us or what this or what that. Forget that. Forget yourself. But if your love meter points to others, then you will do no harm to others. And you will love as God loved. You'll be just like Jesus. Jesus died and rose for this very reason, that you and I might be those who fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And by doing that, we glorify God. And that's what we want to do. Amen? We glorify him by loving. So don't owe anybody anything except love. Love to God, love to neighbor. When we do that, he says, love is the fulfilling of the law. That will bring you the greatest satisfaction when you can, in the depth of your heart, love anybody, spouse, children, neighbors, church people, enemies. When you can do that, you know that God has done a mighty work in your heart. If you fail at it at times, don't be discouraged. We're in the process of learning about Christ, loving as he loved, behaving and conducting ourselves as Christ did when the whole world basically was against him. Let them all come against us. Show them how much you love God and how much you love your neighbor. And that will bring great honor and praise to our Lord. Can you do it? Yes, say yes. I can do it by the grace of God. The key is what? Walking in the Spirit. That means having the Spirit take you to the Scriptures every day, to the church, to the music, everything that teaches you truth about God. Don't resist the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be led, be guided, be controlled by the Spirit of God you'll have power over the flesh, the devil, and the world to glorify God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you.